going to record this. Anyway, uh, here we go. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Sustock Podcast. I'm Sumo Rocky here. We had a crazy week of football in the NFL and in the NCAA football as well. The NBA is about to return, but you know what? College basketball has been going on for almost a month. And we need to talk about it. And I found the exact person to discuss everything that has gone on so far in college hoops. And this is a guy who hosts his own podcast called Storm in the Court. And he and I used to be co-producers of WRHU's The Baseline. He currently works for CBS Sports HQ. And this is a man who has had a decorated time at Radio Hosser University. And joining me today is my great friend, Ryan Connell. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Susumu, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Always appreciate talking some college troops and whatnot with you. So before we go right into talking some college college basketball, when I mentioned something crazy happened over in the week of football, I mean that this particular game happened. And Ryan, you are a Jets fan, and I apologize for that. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, but – Something good, but maybe, but being perceived as bad happened, which was the Jets won. They beat the Rams 23 to 20. I still can't believe it. My mind is still trying to grasp how this happened, what I was feeling in real time, because I was working this game. I had the, the radio feed for this game at my, at my job and I couldn't believe it. I don't even think some of the players could believe it. I couldn't. I don't even think Bob Wachusenko was believing that they were beating this. That they were beating the Rams, who were coming off of a ass kicking of the Patriots. How, Ryan? How are you feeling about this? And do you feel this is a great a great thing for them, or are, you know bad? Because apparently it's bad that they ruined their tank. Yeah, I mean, I've always been rooting for the Jets to win one game this year. I was kind of hoping it came at the beginning of the season, so then my hopes weren't built up that we were locked in for the number one pick. Um, because I, I, I don't want to see my team have a defeated season. I don't want to be one of the three teams in NFL history to go 0-16. Like, as much as, yes, sure, you know, maybe getting the first pick and getting Trevor Lawrence can change your franchise for 15 to 20 years or whatever, I get that. But, like, to purposely root for your team to lose every single game part of me like after a while like it's like I'm sick and tired of that like I want to see one win did I want it to come in week 15 absolutely not like I would have rather this happened like week two get a win on the, and then just lose every game from there like what the Jaguars did Jaguars won week one yes the Colts everyone's like oh Jags off to a good start they've lost every game since like, if that's the way the Jets went, that would be perfectly fine to me. Uh, being that they're going to blow it at the end doesn't surprise me. It, it's funny because every week, the last couple of weeks, when they've played, like, the Chargers, uh, the Dolphins, like, some of these other games that they've played relatively close, the Raiders, every time before, like, I leave for work on Sunday, I'd tell my, tell my dad, I think the Jets are going to finally win today. And then yesterday, before I left, I was like, the Jets have no shot at winning today. Like, the Rams are just going to absolutely pound them. And you know what? The Jets actually won. So, I mean, I... I, I, while I was watching it live, I was like, I kind of had a feeling after they blocked the punt and then on the next drive, they picked off Jared Goff. I was like, all right, the Rams are playing bad. And then the Jets went up 13 nothing, And I was like, okay, well, they delete didn't convert it into touchdowns. They only settled for field goals off of those two turnovers. And then the Rams still only scored a field goal in the first half. And I was like, okay, like no, the, the Jets have a real chance here. And then they went right down the field again to start the third quarter and they're up 23. And I was like, okay, there's actually no way they're losing this game. And all the people I worked with and everything yesterday, like, oh, they're going to lose. Like it's the Jets. They're going to find a way to blow it. And I was like, no, like the Rams just don't look like they have it today. And the Jets actually are on a mission to win a game. They don't want to have a defeated season because as much as a lot of the players on the team would like to have a new teammate like Trevor Lawrence, they're also playing for their livelihood. Like some of these guys may never have a chance to play in the NFL game. Like, oh, you were a part of an Owen 16 team and you were a member of the defense. Like you suck. Like you're not getting another job. Like they're fighting, they're fighting for the job. And like Adam Gase, I mean, his job was to lose games. It's, I mean, it's awfully ironic that he finally wins a game when it's the most meaningless time of the year uh, for Jets fans. I just found that hilarious because I feel like the, the defense and the coach, like, you know, they were doing their best to find small ways to lose the game, like dumb penalties. You got 
questionable play calling. You know, I never thought I would actually ever utter this ever. And it was, why aren't they running the ball with Frank Gore more? Like, especially at the end of the game. He touched the ball 24 times yesterday. He got in the end zone and picked up the third down that won him the game at the end of the game. <laughs> like, he actually won them the game. 37, 38-year-old Frank Gore, however old he is, Hall of Fame running back. He won him the game. And I listened to Adam Gase's press conference after the game, like, you know, to see what he had to say or whatever. And the, the best, the best, you know, quote that he gave was when asked about, you know, a lot of, you know, one reporter said, Jets fans have a lot of conflicting feelings about this, like, you know, especially about giving up maybe a good chance to get the number one overall pick. And he responded with like a classic Belichick-like line saying, well, it's our job to go out there and win. And then he just stopped. And that's all he said. And then they moved on to the next question. But he gave one, someone asked him about Frank Gore and he goes, it's great when you look in the backfield and you got a Hall of Fame running back and you can trust to give him the ball at any time you need a big play. And I was like, that's exactly what we don't need. We don't need him to do that. Like, Give it to somebody else. <laughs> I mean, Ty. I mean, look. I think the Rams were in trouble anyway because they they weren't having much like they weren't doing much of a good job stopping Ty Johnson either. So, no. like, I, it it's actually pretty hilarious. Like that defense. I still can't believe how how like they just torched their defense with guys like Crowder was was getting a lot of good catches. Herndon came back out of nowhere. Yeah, Chris Herndon. <laughs> Where is he I mean, been? Really. Rashad Perriman had a couple nice grabs. Denzel Mims. Oh yeah, I mean the Jets like their their skill players are I wouldn't say good by any means, but like they're they're not they're not what would be on an 0 16 team. Like that's what I've always said about the Jets. Like the Jets are too good to not win a game this year. Like I didn't think it was going to come against the Rams, but like they, it's not that they're super talented. It's just they like if you look at the Browns from a couple years ago that went 0 16 team. Like that there's no talent there. Like the Colts like they purposely like were running guys out like they signed guys off the street to play instead of some of their starters to like purposely lose to get Andrew Luck. Like the Jets weren't doing that. The Jets are still running out guys that were look were looking to make a name for themselves in this league. And it finally clicked in one game for them. I just I'm gonna wrap this up by just simply saying this might be just the most ludicrous game I've ever listened to. And yeah. I, I it just so happened that this game came at the expense of the Rams and yeah. I was just helps out your Seahawks. Oh my goodness. I think but the Rams still control their own destiny they do. though. Because if they beat the Seahawks this week and win in week seventeen, regardless if the Seahawks win in week seventeen, they will win the division because they will have swept the season series against the Seahawks. So that I mean you guys need a big win. But if I can say one more thing about the Jets, like everyone's freaking out like the Jets won this game, like how could you do this? Do people not realize that, like, they should have won the game against the Raiders two weeks ago? Like, does anyone – everyone just forgets. Like, everyone just blames Greg Williams. Like, oh, like, that was great. Like, he purposely threw the game at the end. Like, they're one, like, massive boneheaded play away from winning that game. Like, I, I think people don't realize that. Like, everyone's freaking out now. Like, oh, we just screwed ourselves out of the number one pick. That was the case two weeks ago, and everyone just brushed it off. Like, nothing happened. Oh, like, good thing we lost. Like, we'd be in the same spot. <laughs> I, I will. I do agree with you. Like these, these players are like. You, I feel like it gets lost in the fact that these guys, all these guys, especially on defense and on offense, like they're all playing for another job next year because we don't mm-hmm. know. Like most of them are probably not going to be on this team. Yeah, and, and you, know that. you, yeah, exactly. And you got to market yourself to somebody else. Exactly, and I, it's just like that's why I like. If I'm listening to this, I'm hearing all these guys like, why? Oh, this is the worst day in Jets history that we won this game. And like, I'd be so pissed if I was a player. I'm like, guys, we won you a goddamn game. Why aren't you like happy about this? And and then most even like if you're good, a lot of them might just skip town, too, because they might just be offended by the fact that like they're just asking you to lose, which is not Mm -hmm. what you're supposed to do. If you're a player on that field, you can't do that. So it's, it's just ridiculous. I... I personally was so like I didn't, I have never liked like the idea of just seeing it, but like tanking is so weird to me because when you when yeah. I see it from like outside, I saw it in Philly, I saw it in Miami, and you see it in like other places like Indianapolis, as you said, it's just like fascinating to watch from like a far distance. But when you see your friends actually like embrace this kind of thing, like you we have we're both friends with so many Jet fans. 
And yeah. we've seen a lot of them just turn and just like be like, yeah, let's go. Keep it going. Keep losing. And I'm just like, this is so wrong. This is so mm-hmm. wrong. Is this is this is so not you guys to do this. Like yeah. I, I couldn't fathom this. Like if it, there will come a day when the Seahawks are going to suck. It's going yeah. to happen. It eventually happens. Yeah. It happens to everybody. Exactly. You see it now with the Patriots. The Patriots like they they lose Tom Brady. When granted this year's like there's a lot of other circumstances, but like they're not going to have their first winning season in a very long time. Like they're the best the Patriots can finish now is eight and eight. Exactly. Like think about that. <laughs> so, it the every every team has their reckoning eventually, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be one of those people that's going to like root for a team to just get like number one overall pick because you have no idea. You have no idea. Yeah. No QB. Like sure, Trevor Lawrence is a good, it looks like to be a very good sure thing. But exactly. You have no idea. Well, look think at, about what happened. Yeah. What, what happened to the Colts? Andrew Luck. Yeah. They, they suck for him. What happens to him? He just decides to retire at 27 years old. Exactly. You, then they're stuck with Jacoby Brissett. I mean, they, they bridged the gap here with Phillip Rivers, but like that's only going to last this year. Like they're going to try. Honestly, the Colts will be one of the, like the three teams. I think that will make a play on Sam Darnold if the Jets choose a quarterback. If you're the if you're thinking of it in that perspective, like the Jets are going to completely move on from Sam Darnold now, even if it's they don't get Trevor Lawrence, they have to settle for Justin Fields or Mac Jones or Kyle Trask or Trey Lance or uh, uh, Zach Wilson, whoever it is. Like Sam Darnold, like teams are going to call, come calling, and the two teams at the top of the list that I think would be great moves for them would be the Indianapolis Colts and the San Francisco 49ers. I'll give you a third team. The Los Angeles Rams. No, they owe Jared Goff. No, no, I'll think about it this way. And I was thinking about this while it was happening. Maybe Sam Darnold just gets superpowers when he's back home. He's from the LA area. And. But like, he's been good in other games too. Like, I think that's the thing that people don't realize is that like last year, he never really got a fair deal. He missed what? Six games. Bono, like the team was in disarray. And like this year it was like, all right, well, we're not going to provide you with any help. And you're, you're supposed to go out there and win. And, like, I mean, he had his moments. He had that big run against the Broncos that everyone got so excited for. Oh, that was really fun. Remember that? That was, like, week three. And everyone was like, all right, the Jets are going to win this game. Like, people weren't rooting to get the number one pick. And then all of a sudden, like, halfway through the season, people's mentality shifted. And now it's lose, 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 and let Sam Darnold look as terrible as he wants. You know, so we can it, like we could justify getting rid of him. I like. Yeah, I just hope. Justify getting rid of him so then he goes to another team and is good. Like. Then you're gonna then you're gonna be kicking yourself that you got rid of this guy for nobody. That that's that's the part that I that I don't see. So I mean, now that they're not in the number one spot, I don't know. I'm not 100 percent sold that Joe Douglas is gonna take a quarterback at number two. I know that sounds weird to say, but like Justin Fields, the last couple of weeks in college has looked terrible. I mean, Northwestern should have had many chances to win that game if it wasn't for Trey Sermon running for an Ohio State record. Ohio State doesn't win the Big Ten, and then the game against Indiana. Like he collapsed down the stretch and like Indiana came up, you know, a third down short of tying the game and forcing overtime against Ohio state. And so, I mean, we'll see against Clemson and against better defenses if Ohio state goes along, but like there's question marks there. Like there's question marks with Mac Jones at Alabama. Like he's surrounded by so many good playmakers. How good is he actually like Kyle Trask? He throws the ball 50 times a game for Florida, but like, how good is he? Like, Zach Wilson, he plays at BYU. They don't play anybody. They played one team in Coastal Carolina, and he got rocked. Like, he got lit up in that game. And then Trey Lance from North Dakota State, he sat out all season because they didn't have a season. He played one exhibition game against a Division II school and looked bad. Like, there's so many uncertainties behind Trevor Lawrence. Like, I don't know. I don't – I I mean, I, I still have some sort of optimism for Sam Darnold. And if the Jets move on – you know, I won't be the most hurt over it. I'm just, I just know he'll be successful if he goes somewhere else. I agree with you on that. And I was just thinking to myself, just, well, maybe they just trade down, suck and sucker in. Well, so they, they the have team. a second first round pick this year. Yeah. Thanks to, so thanks to us. Now, now the question is, do you, if you really are going all in on Trevor Lawrence, do you package two first round picks this year and maybe some future draft capital mm. to trade up one spot? Like, if you don't get the first pick. But there is still two games left. The Jaguars play the Bears and the Colts the final two weeks. The Jets play the Browns and the Patriots. So, the, the Jaguars' one win came against the Colts in week one. 
That's all I'm saying. I don't, I think the Colts are good. Like they'll make them, they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to need that game if they want to win the division week 17 over the Titans. So I think they're going to try really hard in that game, but just saying the Jags did beat them earlier and Gardner Minshew is playing for his life because his career is over after this year because I mean, he has no business being a backup. They, they'll keep Mike Glennon for that. All right. This was fun. I really appreciate that Jets talk. Let's go right into some NCAA because this is why I brought you on. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't want to hear my bad jet stuff, but a, a wild week, wild weekend in with New York jets. You know, we had to get that in. Yeah, so. that was good. That was, I loved it. I loved it. And I, and I agree with, and I agree with it so much because like, it's just, God, it just sucks to be a Jets fan, man. I, it just does. But you know, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it hasn't been great the last 10 years. I'll say that, but, you know, one of my big, like the biggest thing I always fall back on is two straight AFC championships. <laughs> Not even making the Super Bowl, just two straight AFC that championship games. One. Mark Sanchez, you know, <laughs> like, hey, we beat the Patriots in the playoffs to get to the AFC championship. Like, that's one of my, like that. Yeah, we like that's one of my biggest things as a Jets fan. Like, I mean, that's that's what I have to look for. Something that happened ten years ago. Yeah. All right, let's go talk some NCAA hoops because there's a lot of stuff going on in this season. And this is around the time where, you know, I feel like the, the attention's not really shifted on them, even though there's some major matchups that we see, especially through like different, like different sorts of tournaments or series as like, you know, Big Ten versus ACC challenge that all that stuff goes goes on during this time of year. And it's been weird because the season started at least a little later than usual. Mm-hmm. And the, the pandemic has really affected so much it's for college athletics, but especially for like football, basketball, we saw, we're seeing a lot of postponements and cancellations. How do you feel that the NCAA has done in terms of just handling and navigating this pandemic? Yeah. So, I mean, this season has been obviously not something that we've ever, really seen before uh started about two weeks later than it did uh that it normally does but i mean there's going to be hurdles along the way that's all i say um but they've played roughly 78 percent of the games that were originally scheduled so from a college football comparing it to college football there's way less teams in college football like there's 350 now 357 teams now in division one college basketball but now then you have to take out the Ivy League, who's not playing this year. You have to take out Bethune-Cookman, who's not playing this year, and a few other schools. So you take them out. So you still have, what, 340 teams. There's not there's only like 150-something at the most in FBS. So like you're, you're working with double the sample size, and college football was playing at an average rate of like 87%. So for more than twice the amount of games and only having you know maybe 10% less games canceled, I don't think that's really a bad thing. Um, and I think the way that they've gone about it isn't the best. Uh, they left it a lot, a lot up to certain conferences uh, and kind of how they want to handle things and how many days you got to sit out and everything. And we saw that kind of not work for college football because there was a lot of discrepancies on like, you know, in the big 10, like if you tested positive for COVID-19, you were out three weeks for college football. And then if you were in the sec, you only had to sit out, 10 days to 14 days. So like there's a lot of discrepancy there. I'd love to see more of an oversight from the NCAA uh, when it comes to that front. And the one thing that I kind of was more of a proponent of before the season started was like, why don't we just do conference scheduling and and maybe some select non-conference games? Like why, why do anything else? That's the, that, that's the thing that makes no sense to me. Why don't we wait to get it more under control and just play conference only? Most of the season is conference play anyways. Like, I get it. Some of the non-conference matchups are great for TV and great for marketing and everything else. But, like, I think college basketball would be in a much better spot if they didn't start until around now. And if they just played conference-only scheduling, there wouldn't be as many cancellations. There wouldn't be as many other things. But that's not the direction they chose. So, ultimately, with where they are right now, I think it's going as best as they could have hoped for at least to this point. I think I remember uh, Rick Pitino said something about how they want to do the NCAA tournament. And he's, I think, was he the the guy that suggested the bubble idea? And 
because I were yeah. There's been a lot of yeah. a lot of coaches that have kind of advocated for just doing a bubble. Um, he's been one of them. But here, as of this morning, there are 96 percent of teams that have chosen to play Division One college basketball this year are now back up and running. So there is only four percent of teams that are currently sidelined um, and not playing games. So some of those teams have yet to play a game since returning to action, but. Put it in perspective, 96% of teams that are playing this year are practicing and starting to play games. So I think they're in a decent spot here. I love the idea because I think I remember listening or reading up on this on this idea was to have the tournament in Indianapolis and mm-hmm. take utilize the fact that there's multiple stadiums in that in that city or arenas, and then just have like teams be like stay within one city instead of just like spreading everything out. Yeah, so that's actually what's going to happen. It, the NCAA tournament is officially all going to take place in Indianapolis. It's going to not only host the Final Four, every first, second round matchup, Sweet 16, everything is going to be in Indianapolis. Every single one. And most of it's going to take place in Lucas Oil Stadium. But then you also got mm-hmm. like other arenas like the Pacers Arena, which I... I Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Yeah, Bankers Life Fieldhouse. I can't think of the other two arenas, but you're probably like smaller venues. Mm-hmm. But... I, I like that idea because if you keep it all within like one city, it makes tracking and like testing and tracing everybody. It's easier. Yeah. It's so much easier. And because how else are you going to contain at least like 64 teams? Do you like, do you know how many people that is? That's like close. Yeah, average, you know, say 12 to 15 guys a roster yeah. plus five assistant coaches, another five to 10 in your traveling party. So you're looking at upwards of like 30 people per team. That's- so yeah, you do the simple math there. That's what eighteen hundred people. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. That's like it's that's <laughs> so many people. Yeah, that's a small bill. <laughs> and I, I I like the idea because like we've seen what bubbles do. The bubble is like a pretty good idea. Now, granted, it's it takes a lot on your mental like it's a it takes a lot like it's a mental toll. And like mm-hmm. NBA and NHL players have all said like it was a lot took a lot out of them mentally to just be that isolated. Now imagine that. That's like a pro athlete that's like 25 or 30 years old saying that. Imagine doing that to 18 to 22-year-old kids. But I will say the caveat to that is is that they played regular season games and everything leading up to this. Like the NCAA tournament from start to finish is only three weeks at the most. Like if you make it all the way to the championship game. True. So like I think they're, that's the one difference is that they're not going to be stuck there for up to three months. You know, mm. I think that that's that's the one thing like working in their favor is that how quickly the games are and everything. Um, and I think it'll be treated more almost like a college campus, I, I think, is the way that I would anticipate it shaking out. I think there's going to be you know opportunities for them to interact and everything because they, they haven't the NCAA hasn't come out and said this. But I think the way that they're going to handle this is Selection Sunday will be announced the field. Then you'll have whatever three to four days to show up in Indianapolis. They'll whatever quarantine for seven to 10 days. So if there's any positive case or anything that can be quelled before we start the tournament. And so then everyone's kind of there and it's, Hey, let's, we'll knock out this tournament here so that, you know, because what happens then if you are, you know, a top team and you have three players on your team test positive in the sweet 16, do you just have to forfeit because like you can't play because your whole team is now like linked to contract tracing because you can't wait two weeks to play because the rest of the tournament will already be over. Yeah. So like, does that mean you have to just forfeit? Like, I don't think that's what they're going to, they're willing to sacrifice. So it'll be, it's definitely going to be interesting, but I think there will be some precautions to make sure that they can, you know, before the tournament starts, everyone's set and ready to go. Yeah. And I, I do agree with like that, it does. It is shorter. You're there for a, and think about it's like opening round. Thirty two teams get eliminated, like yeah, in that whole. That's what I'm saying. Like there, there will be some teams that will be there for like, I mean, depending if they quarantine when they get there or not, like a week, or like at the or they could also be there for just three days, yeah. like and then they're gone. Yeah, and then it makes like the numbers just like shrink, and then it makes managing everything a little bit so much easier mm-hmm. to the point where. If you get to the final four, like it's so much easier to manage it because like you're managing like thirty. That's 120 people you have to take it. You have to count for. Yeah. So I'm hopeful. I it's gonna be a bumpy ride because knowing the NCAA mm-hmm. and how they are, it 
nothing really is managed very Correct. as well or easily because of them. So we'll yeah. see what happens. And I'm just hoping that we can get just get through, get to conference get to conference tournaments and then just like get to selection Sunday. And I can assure you one thing, they will play an NCAA tournament. Like they, they cannot afford to cancel another year. Like last year they missed out on billions and billions of dollars, which you, you kind of saw over the summer and into the fall that some of these smaller institutions started to cut back on some of the other sports they have to offer because they can't afford to pay for it. Like people don't understand how much the NCAA tournament for men's and women's basketball pays for most every other sport that's run on that campus. Like if you look at even some of the biggest schools and which sports operate with the net with an income, it's mainly both basketballs, football, and occasionally like a baseball team. Almost every other sport, even at some of the biggest schools and best in their respective sport, um, some of those minor sports all operate at a deficit. And what the NCAA tournament does is it brings in billions of dollars that's then um, siphoned off and distributed to a variety of institutions. And from there, everyone is able to get a piece of the cut and help kind of keep it all running. Well, last year, you take out those billions of dollars. That means no one else gets any of the kickback or anything. So all that necessary income they need to pay off the other expenses for other sports wasn't coming in. They were relying on donations from alumni um, and everything to kind of try and make ends meet to make sure that they didn't have to cancel those sports. And at some schools, you know, still they are fighting whether or not they will be, you know, taking some of the sports um, away from that campus. So it, it's definitely a struggle, but the NCAA, even though it's a nonprofit organization, what it does for the rest of the schools involved, it's something they just can't, can't afford to happen again. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Let's go into the season itself. Let's go into some of the notable teams that are con- major contenders for the championship. And one team in particular, number one ranked Gonzaga. This is a team that every single year, like for almost a decade now, they're always hovering on around the number one spot. And they always tr- go carry themselves as if they're legitimate contenders, even though everybody always gives the same arguments. It's just, oh, is their schedule good enough? It, it's, are they... Be, they're bullying like a weaker conference. They're a mid-major. That's all they are. Blah, 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 blah. But every this team in particular feels a lot different. And I just got to ask you point blank. It's been like close to a decade of Gonzaga. And I've just, they never are able to reach the top. They're never able to just get to that, get to that championship and get the win. And this has been so many years under Mark Few. And I just got to ask you, like, what is preventing Mark Few from cutting down the championship nets. Well, last year you could make the case they probably had like the second best chance besides behind Kansas to win the whole thing. And they didn't get the chance to play because the tournament never happened. Um, so that's one. Uh, two, they made the, the national championship in 2017 against North Carolina and were winning for a decent amount of that game and, you know, came up just a little bit short. And then in other years, it's just kind of been the, the luck of the draw in the NCAA tournament. It's just kind of the, the way that things have kind of – they have played so good for so long, and they have just, you know, maybe 10 minutes during the game where they just don't play their best. And that being a quarter of the game just is, is you know, demoralizing and not enough for them to overcome. But this team is, is significantly different uh, than, than years past for Gonzaga. You can make the case that – they might not be as deep. They only play really seven at the most eight guys, but the quality of the player that they put out on the court is better than any team in the country, one through seven. I'm looking because I'm looking at the uh, box scores for the, this past Saturday's matchup with Iowa, which I still can't believe. Iowa number three, really? It, yes. it feels like I've been gone from college basketball for like years because Iowa. I always think like, oh, that's a seven, like eight, nine, ten team seated team. That's usually there. They have a lot of very exciting games, a lot of fun, and now this year they're number three and they're led by a potential national player of the year candidate in Luca Garza, who you love. You love this guy so much, and I, I just this is an interesting time, and I'm trying to get back into it. And this Gonzaga team handled I, Iowa and. 
I was listening to your podcast. They prevented them from reaching at not, at least 93 points, which has been, they've reached that mark every single game so far this yep. year. And this is the first game where they have been, they have not reached the 93 point mark. Yeah. So Luca Garza, his nickname is Garzilla. Um, because I, he's an absolute menace. I mean, there's a re- last year, Obi Toppin won a lot of awards as national player of the year. Luca Garza actually won some of them, depending on the certain groups of writers and other people that voted on things. So last year was kind of a two-horse race between him and Obi Toppin. Obviously, Toppin goes to the NBA. Garza returns for a senior season because his pro potential, I, w- I wouldn't say is capped, but isn't as, you know, sexy to the modern-day NBA. He's more of a back-to-the-basket big who can bully in the post. Stretch it in the mid-range. He's he's worked on the three-point shooting and has made that more of a part of his game this year in terms of at least trying to get shots, but he's extremely efficient. But he's, I wouldn't say slow. He just, he's he's a, he's a big boy. When I mean, like, he's got broad shoulders. He's not, he's not necessarily, like, too heavy. He's just, he's solid. But getting up and down the court for 40 minutes, there are times where you could tell, like, he's a little bit late getting back on defense and that would, you know, sometimes gives the chance for the other team to get offensive rebounds and other things and get easy buckets. Like Iowa as itself isn't a great defensive team, but uh, he definitely has a long way to go in terms of athletic athleticism to try and be successful on a night in and night out basis at the next level. I think he could be good um, coming off the bench. I don't think he'll be an ultimate star. And that's why I think he chose to return to college basketball because if you're not going, if you're going to be what she was probably going to be a second round pick, like why would you go be the second round pick and be the 12th man in an NBA rotation? Sure. You're getting paid for it. Or you could come back and be the best player in the country in your sport on a top five team. that has probably, you know, top three chance of any team to win a national championship. Like, like you do that for one year, then you go in the second round next year. And you're just a year late to starting your career, but you have so much more personal achievement that you can feel proud of um, and more, I guess you could say, notoriety to your name. Like it made sense for him to come back. But Susumu, if I told you that Gonzaga's two best players fouled out in the final five minutes, they turned the ball over 18 times, and Luca Garza for Iowa, the national preseason national player of the year and first team All American had 30 points and over 10 rebounds. What do you think the result of the game would have been? Feels like it would have been close. I would have close, probably maybe even an Iowa win. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what happened in Iowa still lost by double digits to Gonzaga. I see. I Jimmy uh, and Corey Kispert fouled out. Garza scored 30 points. Gonzaga nearly turned the ball over 20 times and they still won by double digits. I'm looking and glaring at the stat line of one player and it sucks. Suggs, and I'm immediately looking at it. I'm looking at this guy. He has 27 points, seven boards, and four assists. And I'm, and this is and he was stroking it from three too. Seven out of yeah, ten. My goodness. My goodness. Yeah. So Jalen Suggs. Which, all right. So this goes back. This will be more of my Gonzaga talk here. So I said Gonzaga is different than every year. I said one through seven. You know they're probably better than any team in the country. So Corey Kispert was preseason first team All-American, more of a three and D type guy in the NBA. Last year he shot 46% from deep. Like, and and this year he's still shooting, you know, 45%. Like he'll be a legit, you know, I would say back half lottery, late first round guy that goes to a good team and makes a median impact in the NBA. Um, Drew Timmy is a sophomore big man, 6'10, 6'11, who could stretch the floor, play from the high post, but also has great back to the basket moves. Drew Timmy's AAU coach coach growing up was Jermaine O'Neal mm. so no you know he knows something or two about working in the post uh he took a big step forward this year filling in for Philip Petrushev who was Gonzaga's best player last year he was a third team All-American he left to go play overseas and play in Europe because of the uncertainty in college basketball over the summer so Timmy steps right in uh first couple of games scores like 25 points got into foul trouble in this one so they bring back Joel Ayi, who's another starter who's now a senior uh, they get a transfer in Andrew Nemhard from Florida, who's a junior point guard that comes off the bench, plays significant minutes. They have a freshman big man, Omar Balo. Omar Balo's nickname is Baby Shaq. Okay, he's a seven foot tank that like is a back to the basket big who comes in and spells Timmy at times. And then they brought in Jalen Sucks, 
Jalen Suggs was a top 10 player coming out of high school last year. He's the first ever top 10 recruit to commit to Gonzaga. He's a true five-star. Um, and many had before the year him going probably in the top 10 in the NBA draft next year. Well, after this weekend's performance, people are thinking he might challenge Cade Cunningham for the number one overall pick, and he'll probably safely go in the top five, if not the top three. And so he was a the All-State Player of the Year for basketball and football in the state of Minnesota each of the last two years. He had numerous Division One offers to play high-level FBS football and chose basketball. And instead of going to Duke or Michigan State or to North Carolina or to Kentucky or to Arizona and all the other schools that offered to him, he chose Gonzaga because of their winning culture and he thought they could go to a team and make an immediate impact. And in the game, in the biggest, bright, brightest lights against the number three team in the country, when the, the two best players on Gonzaga get into foul trouble, don't play much, he goes out, scores a career-high 27 points and just falls out in front of everyone on national television. I always felt like that's like the the one key missing piece for Gonzaga was they never. This is a team that like they had they have, although they've always had like yeah. you know good pros but never like a a high profile like top tier guy yeah like they have one, and that's Jalen sucks. Sometimes you need like the one talent that's just better than everybody else on the court. You can have like a very balanced and all around team. Like you could have guys like a team that goes eight deep, but only scores at least like 18, 20 points and they do their jobs. It takes when you get somebody who is able to, to just score 25, 27 points a game. And he's able to just like take it basically will yourself to a win when the other players on your team aren't getting the job done or foul out. That's the, like the key missing piece right there. And Mm -hmm. now I'm seeing it. I now I'm seeing that this is a, this Gonzaga team is so much different than what I've seen in the past because yeah. you see like guys like stars, like, you know, Olenek was considered their best player on this team. Mm-hmm. Rui Hachimura, oh, Brandon Clark. There you go. Like they put out some good players. Uh, Shemek Karnowski, uh, Nigel Williams, Goss, Josh Perkins in the last couple of years. Like they've had, they've had solid pros. Um, but I mean, Gonzaga is like legit. Like Mark Few has silently over the last five years, like taken steps further and further along to put the narrative of Gonzaga is just a mid-major to bed, that they don't play anyone and that they can finish 26 and two every year and be a one seed and everyone still will pick them to not make the final four. Like that narrative's going to bed. Like Gonzaga is willing to play anybody and everybody this year. So they had a game against Baylor that got postponed. Um, 90 minutes before tip-off. That was supposed to be number one versus number two two weeks ago. It was supposed to be, you know, the game of the year in college hoops. Then I deemed Iowa-Gonzaga game of the year because it was one versus three. And, like, you don't get this matchup, especially in the non-conference early in the season, all that often. So now Gonzaga is 4-0. Because Saturday's win against Iowa was their first game in 17 days. And everyone's like, oh, they might come out a little bit rusty, nothing. No, they went out, they went out and dropped 99 points, one by double digits against the number three team in the country after not playing for 17 days. Okay, so you put that narrative to bed. All right, so now they're 4-0. You look at their wins. They beat, Gonzaga, or they beat Kansas, they beat Auburn, they beat West Virginia, and now they beat Iowa. And they were supposed to play Baylor, and I could bet money they would have they beat them too. And now their game against Baylor probably won't get rescheduled because of the way that, you know, league play is getting ready to start. And the Big 12 has come out and said they don't want Big 12 teams to play non-conference games after Big 12 play starts, which it's kind of already started. So, um, yeah, so that game probably won't will likely not happen this year, which is, you know, sad for college hoops fans because those are the two best teams in the country. But Gonzaga's resume now has a win over Kansas, who's number three in the team um, in the country. One against Iowa, who dropped one spot to number four. West Virginia, who's in the top ten. Actually, at number seven, I believe. And the only other win is against Auburn, who two years ago made the Final Four. So, they don't play anybody, is what, is what the narrative is. Their next game comes against Virginia on Saturday at 4 o'clock, also on CBS. That'll be their last, che- like their last true test, because after that, they get into WCC play, and they will run the table in WCC play. They haven't lost a conference game in years. Uh, so honestly, if they get through Virginia unscathed, I know it's a little early to start talking about it because they're 4-0. Gonzaga might finish the regular season undefeated. 
You rarely see it. You rarely see that undefeated run. But every single year, it seems as though Gonzaga always makes the contention for the undefeated streak. Mm -hmm. They always try to run the table. And I'm looking forward to it. And that Virginia matchup, that's going to be good because you're facing it off against Coach Bennett and the pack line defense. Yep. I, I can't wait for that. I'm, I'm really hyped for it because I'm looking at that. And I'm going to circle that immediately. Yeah, but you talked. To, you brought up Io before, and you said this is a team that's always like a 7 or 10 seed. I mean, you're right. But this year, they brought back the preseason National Player of the Year. They brought back their other starting four, their other four starters from a year ago. And they play in the, the best, arguably the best conference in college basketball in the Big Ten. So you bring back Garza, who's a senior. Joe Wieskamp is a solid perimeter player. He scored 20 points. C.J. Frederick, uh, both McCaffrey's. Jordan Bohan is a six-year point guard. Um, Iowa is the only team in the country that can keep up offensively with Gonzaga. Um, as I said, they didn't score less than 93 points in any game before this game, and they have still scored 88 points against Gonzaga. But if you look at Iowa, they shot four of 22 from three. When they beat North Carolina a couple weeks ago, they made 17 threes, okay? And they shot like 60% from three. Gonzaga in this game actually shot 50% and made 13 threes. If Gonzaga makes 13 threes in, in every game they play, they will not lose because no one can beat them. But Iowa had a really poor shooting day made it close but it never got within eight points after three minutes left to go in the first half it never got within eight i remember i was listening we were texting a bit and you basically explained to me why like iowa's ranked so high and it's because mm -hmm. like in the preseason especially they really value like any team exactly any team that has like a, a, a strong returning returning class of of starters or adds like a new key piece, like through through like recruitment or transfer or transfer. You could say their new key piece was return was getting Luca Garza not to go to the NBA because he like declared and then didn't sign and returned to college basketball. So like, if they lose him, they're probably not ranked this high. They're probably still ranked because they have a good team, but there's no shot they're a top five team. Do you feel as though this year, especially, it's it's going to be more skew towards teams that manage to keep their like returning classes and a lot it's like a very like upper classman heavy teams are going to really benefit from this year because of the continuity do you feel as though like that's going to be the case because it feels as though like all the one and done teams like all the teams that try to like amass all the the freshman recruits they're all suffering right now yeah so uh, that was one of the things i you know said before the season started was that Leadership and experience will win out in the early season um, as we start to play games because, yeah, there's just no continuity of, you know, learning all like all the plays and everything over Zoom and like not really getting to work in the gym as much um, with their teammates during their free time or just, you know, even just having limited practices in the offseason. Um, but I think to, to go if you're going to bring it to Kentucky and Duke, there are other problems um, besides just, you know, not playing with each other. Um, but I think definitely experience will win out in uh, definitely in the early season. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was at the end of the year, either you see a team like Gonzaga or Baylor or Iowa or Villanova or somebody in the national championship and walking away with a national title. I, we got to focus on one more team that's in within the top three and it's Baylor. Baylor yeah. What I what I what I love about Baylor, like they were dominant last year and they were really turning it on and they were really coming into form before everything shut down. But I was so skeptical because we've seen years of evidence of Baylor looking great, looking good coming into this coming into the tournament, but then they just lay an egg in like the opening round. Every single time, like I, I Nice lost to Yale. <laughs> Yale, Georgia State, like the Georgia State game will probably be like that. The Georgia State corollary, um, bring it back. You got to bring it back, RJ Hunter, baby. Bring it back. Bring, fire up the the Georgia State corollary and RJ Hunter, Ron Hunter falling off his stool. <laughs> I so it, you got to like come from like anybody's perspective from watching Baylor. It's like it's very difficult to believe in this team and say that they're really going to, this is the year that everything's different. But now it just feels as though like this team feels 
like they're raring to go. They're one of the few teams that are really going to be contending for a national title this year. They're an incredibly difficult and contentious conference that's been dominated by Kansas. And you have like three other teams that are ranked within the top 15 this year. So what do you think about this Baylor team? And do you think they have a shot at dethroning Kansas's grip on the big 12? So Baylor, they have three really strong guards. It's Jared Butler, preseason first-team All-American, Davion Mitchell, and Macy Oteague. Now you can throw in Mark Vital as well, who's more of like a forward. Um, but Butler, you know, kind of locks you up defensively, scores 15 points with ease, gets to the basket, does everything well. Teague can run the point. Then he gets hot from the perimeter, makes makes multiple shots in a row. Davion Mitchell, probably the most explosive player in terms of athleticism and being able to attack the rim at, at will. And then Mark Vital is like 6'6", like 250, and is just a rock. And he'll just, you know, you throw him on someone in the post, he'll body you up, throw the ball down to him in the block, he'll dunk right over you, he can hit in the mid-range. And then the wild card for them is Adam Flagler who comes off the bench. He is a transfer from Presbyterian. And against their game against Illinois, where they won 82-69 a couple weeks back uh, in the GBP Classic, he played 29 minutes off the bench, scored a team-high 18 points. He was under-recruited out of high school, like was not even touching three stars, enrolled in Presbyterian, averaged almost 16 points a game, was the Southland Conference freshman of the year, transferred, sat out last year, comes into Baylor, knows he's behind three really solid guards, but will get minutes to spell each and what, every one of them, probably 15, 20 minutes a night. And on the game where those guys weren't hitting shots offensively, he comes off the bench, makes an immediate impact. And, you know, that was the difference in the game for them. The interesting thing with them is that they lost Freddie Gillespie, who was their best center or, and best big man in general from last year. They were going to replace him with Tristan Clark. Well, Clark, before the season, you know, he was coming back off a knee injury. He thought he was going to play. He was starting to practice and everything. He went back to the doctor to get cleared, and they said he had to shut it down, and he was forced to literally retire. Like, it was, he just like he wasn't able to go. They said it wasn't healthy for him. Like he was just going to end up having to get surgery again uh, in a couple months when something was found to go wrong. Um, so they lost what was going to be their best front court player. Um, and their front court, like, they're going to play more four guards and, and one big because um, that's what they have. So you could kind of beat them uh, a little bit on the glass, but Baylor and Scott Drew, like regardless of if they have great front court, they're always a great rebounding team. Think about some of the players that have come through, the, through there over the years, like Rico Gathers uh, and everything. Like they out-rebound teams and out-hustle teams. So I, I said that's why they remind a lot of people, including myself, who's a 2005 Illinois team, they made it all the way to the final four because they have a strong backcourt. They play defense and they're going to out hustle you the entire game. This team does feel like very, uh, very physical profile, very athletic. They're going to beat you with just sheer athleticism. And their sole big guy right now that I'm seeing is Jonathan Tichamwa. Oh, Jesus. I'm not even going to be able to attempt trying to. Yeah, they also have Flo Bamba as well, I believe. Yeah, Flo Thamba. Thamba. Yeah. Flo Thamba, that oh um, not Mo not Mo Bamba, Flo, Flo Thamba. Oh god, that sounds like Mo Bamba's evil twin or something. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love this team. I love this team now. <laughs> Flo Thamba is my favorite team. Oh, I forgot to mention my favorite player. And oh, we, I was gonna bring up El Illinois, but you could bring him yeah. up. Go ahead, Don Sunmu. I know Dasumu. Oh, I'm going to vicarious. This this sounds weird, but I'm going to vicariously live live through him through this whole college basketball. You should buy a number 11 Illinois IO Dasumu jersey. Yeah, I'll just put my name on the back and then they'll, no, yeah, no one will tell the difference. No one yes. will know. <laughs> He's also a guy that has great pro potential as well. Yeah, I've like this Illinois team. They're kind of, they're back resurging and the Big Ten as a whole is also now pretty crowded. You see Iowa, you see Illinois, Michigan State all making claims and as well as Ohio State making some noise too. So, yeah, but you left out the team that has been off to I think the best start in the Big Ten so far this year. Oh, who is that? They moved up 
eight spots in the rankings this week after their win over Illinois on Sunday. Number 11 team in the country, undefeated 6-0 Rutgers oh. Scarlet Knights. Oh, my Rutgers goodness. Rutgers is almost a top 10 team in college basketball, Susumu. Who thought we would be talking Rutgers hoops? But Steve Feichel, former Stony Brook legend of a head coach, he is taking the reins of this Rutgers program, and they are – last year they didn't lose a single game at home. And their games at the rack were great because the atmosphere in there is unbelievable, especially when Rutgers is good. So this year they're hurt without having fans in their home arena, but they still haven't lost. And they beat Illinois at home over the weekend, which will propel, which has propelled them all the way up to number 11 in the country. They have a great one-two combo of Ron Harper Jr. and Jacob Young. And I don't know, Rutgers is, Rutgers is scary. Don't, and let's not forget about Wisconsin too, because they, well, yeah. <laughs> you just got to throw them in there. But I, yeah, I heard, I, was, I heard all the buzz from Rutgers and Ron Harper Jr. Ooh, Ron Harper's son. Ron, yeah, Ron Harper's son. Hmm. I, I didn't, I, my goodness. So this, this big 10, the big 10 and the big 12 stacked this year, really stacked. And, and it makes mm-hmm. me so interested to see, usually we always look forward to the ACC tournament because of all the collective talent that we get to see all the teams that are just, it's probably one of the more competitive basketball you'll see in all of college basketball. But this year feels like it's going to completely shift to the big 12 and the big 10 is where all the focus is going to be. Yeah, last year the Big Ten was split on who won, and I think it was Wisconsin and Maryland. And I think they they both won the conference at like 13-7 and because the Big Ten plays 20 league games, and that won the conference at 13-7. and seven. Like that shows you like the parity there is like Ohio State was like 8 or was like 9-9 nine and nine, or like um, – or 9-11 and 11, I think they were – they ended up being. Like they finished under 500 in Big Ten play, but like were still a fringe like top 25 team. Like so – that's that's the like everyone on the Big Ten beats up on each other in the middle. So that's kind of the, the one thing that brings them down a little bit is that there's going to be like there's not many easy games in the Big Ten. Like uh, like many thought Northwestern would be an easy game to win. Well, Michigan State just lost to Northwestern by double digits yesterday. So like, you know, that's not an easy game like Minnesota and, and Richard Pitino. Last year they were at the bottom of the Big Ten this year. I believe they've lost one game, if not any. Uh, so most of the teams that aren't good in the big 10 are slowly starting to make a resurgence. The big 12, on the other hand, there is a bottom that, that conference does bottom out. So you have Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia, Texas, Texas tech, top five teams, all in the top 15 in the country. But at the bottom of the conference, you have Kansas state and Iowa state who are way down. Like TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state are good middle like it slowly weans down from like Oklahoma state to TCU to Oklahoma. And then, but Iowa state is lost to Kansas state and Kansas state lost to a division two team by double digits called Fort Hayes state. Okay. <laughs> Fort Hayes state beat Kansas state by double digits. And then Iowa state lost to Kansas state. And where this gets really interesting is that Iowa state was beating West Virginia for a good portion of the game on Friday night, but West Virginia luckily came back and won. But Iowa State and and Kansas State are, you know, a clear bottom of the Big 12, and they really fall off the map uh, as opposed to the Big 10. But I would say the top of those two conferences is, you know, arguably probably 10 of the top 15 teams in colleges. It is very top-heavy, and but I just think – at the end of it all, you're just more interested to see what happens at the top between those those five Big Twelve teams, and Baylor probably has the best shot at just like dethroning Kansas. Although you you never want to rule out Press Virginia, never rule Bob yeah. Huggins. Well, it's funny you mentioned Press Virginia. They don't they don't this year. They're taking on a different approach. They're not pressing on every possession. They've they've lo- they're losing the title of Press Virginia. They still bring the pressure every once in a while, but they are not going the this the usual way they play of pressing you the whole game is, is not what they're doing this year. So a new, a new look for Bob Huggins and squad. What do you mean by that? Because now, because when you say that, it makes it sound like they're completely, they're just like adhering to social distancing protocols. now. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess, but no, they're, they're, they're be- two best players on their team are Derek Culver and Oscar Shibway, who are both six ten big men. So they have the best four or five combo in the country. So why would they play an up-tempo pressure game which is going to tire them out and make them run up and down the floor 
when those are the f- two focal points of their offense. Um, so I think they, they, they started to adjust a little bit last year when they realized that it wasn't working with them two being their two best players. Um, but they still bring the pressure every once in a while. They have Miles McBride, who's their top guard. But being that Shibway and Culver are their two best players, they want to more tailor their game to suit them. And that's what great coaches do. And some coaches, yeah. they'll be stubborn. Like Huggins could have been like easily could have been stubborn and just try to force the whole. We have to learn it this way. You have to press. That's just how we are. And but the great coaches understand that you have to adjust your your coaching to the style and really just you know adjust it to maximize the strengths of your players. So if you if your star players are bigs, take advantage of the fact that they're going to get the boards because Culver is averaging a double double. And yeah. it's he's a double double machine. Yeah, and he's also getting averaging over a block a game, like at yeah. one point. Well, you know, one point two. But so, I'm just interested. I I'm getting slowly invested. You're basically easily making 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 me much more invested. In, at least it's for the championship tournaments because I can't wait yeah. to see all these tournaments. I just want to c- touch on one final thing before we wrap things up. Can I say one more thing about Big 12, though, which is the biggest surprise, I think, at least to me. Of course. It's a lot of other well, I mean, I, by, I said Texas at the beginning of the year was going to be a sleeper team. Like, this is a make-or-break year for Shaka Smart. Like, if he doesn't get the job done, he's fine. He, he, like, he's he still has his hair, though, now. Well, well, that that was the point I was going to bring up. He has hair now. He never <laughs> had hair, sus. He was, he was fully bald. The man's got a nice, luscious locks on that head. But he never, never used to show that off. Like, I don't think... Like I, I still can't get over that. Like they, they panned him on the sideline. I was like, I, I just like look quick and I'm like, wait, that's Shaka smart. Like you can still tell, but with the mask over most of his face and a full head of hair, you're like, who's coaching Texas? Yeah, I, I think we we got through like a handful of. Uh, look at the locks on this guy. I, yeah, I, I, it's almost like he kind of just like got like hair seeds on his head and then he just <laughs> water yeah no he just and then he just watered it like a garden yeah exactly <laughs> he just kind of grew some roots and then boom he, he's just you get hair i mean some guys they just choose to be bald and then maybe this yeah. guy who's just like you know what maybe i'm gonna try something different and then he gets some hair Absolutely. he grows it and then i and then this team like it's they're contending their top 10 team right now. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's all it took was just growing, growing some hair. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I, I pride myself on having okay hair and yeah. I'm not like, I'm not going to cut it until uh, everything goes back to normal and everything. But like, look, this guy, I respect anybody that decides to make a change yeah, and try absolutely. something different. And look, we all know we've, we've known how great of a coach Shaka smart is. He's, given us so many great moments, especially in the tournament, VC, his run with VCU and back in 2012, it was memorable. 11, oh, it was 11. My bad. 11. <laughs> last, last, uh, colonial athletic association team reached the final four. Oh yeah. VC Grams could have easily been Hofstra, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> you know, this is great. Um, I, so the one final point I wanted to touch on, and I'm sorry, I, I cut you off. I beat you to the punch on that one. But yeah, yeah, that's it. Sorry, right. UConn. UConn is oh. they're back in the Big East. Oh, Susumu had to bring up UConn, huh? I I just think it's not even just because you you're from Connecticut. It's because of the fact that it's UConn. They're back in the Big East. They're back home where they should be. And this Big East, the Big East is like still a very a relatively good conference. Still, you got Virg- Villanova, Creighton. They're making a different, making impacts, and then Xavier yep. too. So yeah, Xavier just bounced into the top twenty-five. But it's after Z- after Villanova and Creighton, it's just Armageddon, like three through, three through like six I, in the Big East between yeah. uh, Xavier, UConn, Marquette, and who's the other team? I'm thinking maybe St. John's. Uh, no, I'd say Providence is better than them. Uh, like St. John's is better than Georgetown and Butler. Um. But they're like, yeah, they're like seventh or eighth in the conference. Um, but yeah, no, they like that three through five or six is is really anyone beats anybody. 
And I don't know if you saw the game yesterday, UConn's first game into the Big East, 2,843 days after their last game, they played number nine Creighton, uh, who's now since dropped from the rankings, uh, to a 76-74 uh, game in overtime in which Creighton won. But UConn and their best player, James Booknight, dropped a career-high 40 points in the losing effort. I I just love seeing it back. Now, if if only we could get Rutgers to just like steal them away from the Big Ten, then yeah. then every no, I I need to see a Syracuse. I need to see Syracuse. Like that's that's all I need to see. I need I need the Cubes back in the Big East. Yeah, that's it's it's a bummer that the ACC. Give me Cubes. Give me Pitt. And give me Rutgers, and bring back West Virginia. Like they don't deserve to be in the Big Twelve. It would just make like Madison Square Garden so much more livelier when you see like all the big e- the Big East tournaments. Just especially like everyone remembers the heyday of like of the eighties. You got Thompson, you got you got Bayheim, like and Carnesecca and Carnesecca, Calhoun, Rick Pitino at Providence, um, Rick Pitino at Louisville. Like I mean, there's there it just goes on and on. I mean, the players to come through the Big East, some of the games over the years like it, it's just the history of it coming together in the 80s and like the whole like way that the big east was formed and up until conference realignment um started to change that in around like 2012 like I mean, there was no conference like it um and since then you know it's had its ups and downs and everything but it's just nice to see UConn back in the big east and not playing all their games at eight different parts around the country in the american athletic conference it, it, it was a bummer, but I mean, I will say this, like replacing them with Xavier and Creighton, not bad, not bad. I, I, no. I love, I love Creighton. I love, I love the fact that I, I think I was, I was listening to their game against uh, St. John's and they put up a, St. John's was putting up a bit of an effort at the start, but then, you know, Creighton just destroyed them. Yeah. I felt bad because like I was, I was also listening to the St. John's feed and I love Mink. I love Mink. Oh, the Mink man. I love Mink. And I, it was just a bummer that they had that they lost, but I I was just you know what, Crane's just a really good team. They're contending. They Villanova's usual Villanova. Jay Wright doing his thing, and Xavier they always they always there. They're always around. They always do something. They make a difference every single time, especially in tournament time. They always make a difference. Mm-hmm. Man, I just I'm I keep looking at the standings and I, and I see UConn and St. John's next to each other, and I'm just yeah, things are slowly getting back to normal. Yeah, slowly but surely. The only the only other thing that's not normal in college basketball is that Duke and Kentucky are just terrible. Well, I mean, I mean, Duke being terrible is weird, but Kentucky Kentucky, Kentucky being terrible is bad is weird. I mean, like they had some bad years before Calipari got there in two thousand ten or oh nine ten, but they're one in five. Assuming they've lost five straight. Games. Are you this serious? Is first, this is their first five game losing streak since the nineteen eighty nine ninety season. And it's the first time they've started one and five since 1926, 27. Oh We've gone through a great depression, world war two, the Vietnam War, the Korean war, like 10 different presidents, a global pandemic. And Kentucky is now one and five for the second or for the first time since 1926. Yeah. I, I'm reading a headline right now saying that he, they want that Calipari asked like his freshman flexure to just step away in quotes from the program. Yeah. Oh God, it's everything's it's a disaster over there. It, it really is. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to spend much time on it, but like, I'm just, just had to get it out there that yeah, Kentucky like is off to a historically, historically bad start. Yeah. I, I think Duke will, will bounce back. Cause I just knowing who they are and it's like, maybe sometimes they just, I'm more surprised by Duke because I think eventually they'll get bounced back back. I don't know if they're going to be in the top 10, but they will no. bounce back. I just think this no. is one of those times of years where they don't really have like the star, like freshman type that, that they usually get for the one and dones. And now they're just kind of, they're just normal. They're not, they're, a, med- they're meddling because they don't have half court offense and their best offense is playing defense and scoring in transition. And that doesn't work against good teams because good teams don't turn the ball over. And there's no atmosphere in Cameron indoor. So home games for them, like where it's normally tough to win on the road at Cameron indoor, there's just not the same vibe because there's nobody like, you know, sticking their hand over you or, or screaming at you the whole game. So, I mean, that, that's, I think people don't realize like how much of an advantage Duke has, like when, when they, they handicap games in Vegas, they say like the Cameron crazies 
add like almost 10 points to like Duke. Like they, they like it's like a 10 point advantage, like home court advantage for Duke because of how much of a, you know, how much that influences the officials, the other team. There's a, a variety of factors that, you know, compounded together makes Duke so much more unstoppable at home. Um, and that's why the, this is the first time um, in over 20 years they've lost two non conference home games um, ever uh, at Cameron Indoor. Like Coach Mike Shushesky has lost five games at home in a non conference season uh, at Cameron Indoor. Three of them have come in the last two years. One was to Stephen F. Austin last year, and he has two losses this year one to Michigan State and the other to Illinois. So. I mean, he lost to like two superior teams. No, yeah, this year it was two really good teams that are much better than his, but still he's lost now five non-conference games ever in his career at Duke at Cameron Indoor, and two of them have come this year. Mm. All right. That just provides perspective. Mm-hmm. All right, Ryan, let the people know how they can reach out to you on the social medias and what you've been up to. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I'm available on Twitter at Rye underscore Connell. That's R-Y underscore C-O-N-N-E-L-L. Yeah, my podcast comes out once a week. It's Storming the Court. You can find an Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever else podcasts are found. Um, that's pretty much where you can find me at the moment. Yeah, as Seth mentioned, I work at CBS Sports HQ. Um, but if you want to hear more of my college basketball stuff, that's where you can find it. Uh, and I look forward to talking some hoops with Susumu later in the year and definitely by the time uh, March Madness rolls around. I'll try to get you back on when right around the time the conference championships roll out, roll around because it's, this is a great year because you see if Steve Peichel and Rutgers keep this hot streak going, I have to get you back on because you know, I, I know the only connection I have to Rutgers aside from Peichel is the fact that Jerry Retko calls their game. Yeah. So, that's pretty much all I have towards the connection. But now I know that Ron Harper's son is on this team. I'm interested. Yeah. Ron Harper's right. son, Ron Harper Jr. Oh my goodness. Who would have thought? Ron Harper Jr. What, what a star name, man. All right. That's going to do it, everybody. Do not forget to follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as Anchor.fm. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I'll see you guys next time.